0: Don and I are back together in the Cherokee Batting Range podcast studio this week, getting ready to record episode number 238. Got a really good show lined up for you this week. In our warm up segment, we've got our city of the week, player of the week, equipment tip of the week, have a really strong, did you know, a fun listener question, and of course, Paige's power play. In our leadoff segment, we're going to talk about playing time questions, especially at the more developmental level, more of the recreation level and some questions that some listeners have raised about situations that they're dealing with with their team. In our cleanup topic, we're going to talk about something that was all the rage on Facebook a few weeks ago, about a play that took place in a state playoff game, whether it's uh, gamesmanship or flat-out cheating, and uh, was something we've talked about in the past a little bit, but we're going to get into it again today. And then in our uh, coaching tip of the week, we're going to talk about coaches' reactions when tournaments don't live up to their expectations. Uh, We've talked about this topic a few times too, but I had somebody reach out to me with a very specific uh, complaint and wanted us to talk about it again to make sure that we kind of air that thing out a little bit. So before we get into all those fun topics, first let's talk about our sponsors, the Anderson Bat Company. Everything Fast Pitch is very proud to have Anderson Bat Company as our presenting sponsor. Anderson Bat Company is using the latest and greatest Bat technology to corner the market in the fast pitch world. They have the minus nine rocket tech, the minus 10 carbon save a little bit of money on a great bat, and also help support Everything Fast Pitch at the same time. Let's also talk about supporting Everything Fast Pitch by going to patreon.com slash Pitch. We've got a new patron this week. Matthew came on board as a new patron. We have an existing patron, Ray, who has increased his commitment and uh, has uh, raised his uh, level of support. I want to say thank you both to uh, Matthew and Ray for helping us. You know, one of the things that we've talked about at great length here in this last uh, several months is the long-term health and future of what's going on with everything fast pitch and coach prep. And the reality of it is that because of the influx of patrons we've had over this last couple of months, it's gotten us closer to breaking even, but we're still not breaking even every, every month. The reality of it is that uh, there is a spot out here in the future someplace. uh, If we don't continue to add patrons where we're just going to have to say that enough is enough. Um, I know, um, You're all tired of listening to me uh, beg every week for more people to come on board. (laughs) But the, the flip side of it is, you know, Coach Don and I really do enjoy doing this, but the amount of red ink that has been associated with it has just gotten to the point now where as I'm dealing with all this other stuff in my life, it just keeps making me wonder how much longer can I keep throwing money at something on the hope and a prayer that someday Nike or Wilson or... Spotify or somebody's going to say, "Hey, these guys are geniuses. Let's pay them a million dollars to keep doing their podcast." Seeing how I think it's unlikely that that's going to happen, what we need to do is have all of you that are taking advantage of a, of the podcast, that are enjoying it, that are, are seeing value in it, to support us if you can. Again, we're talking about five, ten, or twenty dollars a month. I think it's obviously you know amazing that those of you that are supporting us are doing it. We really do appreciate it. I don't want to undersell it in any in any way, shape, or form. If we had not had the patrons that we've had for as long as we've had, uh, we would have had to close the doors a whole long time ago. But we need more of you to come on board and help support us. It's just that simple. Um, there is a, a point off in the future someplace where this podcast is no longer going to exist uh, if, if we can't get some more people to support it. I was
1: going to say, and in the meantime, Tori, this is a great venue for everybody to uh, ask more questions and for us to all talk about what we enjoy, and that's Fast Pitch, right?
0: Don't get me wrong. I love the fact that we get together to do this. This yep. couple of weeks that I've been out uh, with this most recent health scare, it really felt like a hole in, in my existence, not, not getting together to, to talk with the guys. Uh, what I want to do and what I have to do reality to the world and uh, the, what I am going to have to do reality is creeping up on us. So again, if you do see value in it, if it's something you want us to be able to continue to do, go to patreon.com slash pitch. It's very, very simple. You go through the steps and get hooked up, and, and it would do a lot to continue the, the future of everything fast pitch and coach prep. That's greatly appreciated. Yep. Okay, down. that's going to take us into our warm-up segment. Our warm-up segment is sponsored by Biddinger and Styles, DDS. They're located in Webster, Mass. If you have any dental needs at all, make sure you, and you're, and you're in the area. Check out the folks at Biddinger and Styles. They are very strong supporters of the podcast, people that have done a lot to help us uh, keep the, the, the podcast up and running. And if you're in a position where uh, you can take advantage of their services, we would love for you to do so.
1: And let them know that you heard about them through us.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So Don, our city of the week is Philadelphia. Philadelphia. That's a big place too. Yeah, no, it's uh, one of those places I've had the good fortune of being a couple of times. I spoke at a coach's clinic in New Jersey, very close to Philadelphia a couple of times and uh, flew into Philadelphia. And of course, with the history of being a Rocky Balboa fan and the movies, the Rocky movies. <laughs> I've seen that West one, Tori. Yeah, I knew you'd seen that one. I mean, I've, I've done the pretend run up the stairs of the uh, museum That's and, and, cool. and all yeah. that stuff. And you know, I had my picture taken by the Rocky statue, had some of the world famous uh, Philly cheesesteaks. It, it was a great experience, great place to be. Obviously, uh, the, the numbers have jumped in Philadelphia, which means that there's people out there uh, getting their friends and, and, and other fast pitch fans to listen. If you can do that for us, we really do appreciate it. It's a great thing for us to see the numbers going up. It's always exciting to see a big spike in in specific places because that means that the people who are listening are asking others to do so. They're they're, they're spreading the word, and every time that happens, it's exciting to see. And so we really do appreciate it. Numbers of people that are listening continues to go up, um, and it's always exciting for us to see the numbers jump in a specific spot.
1: No, I'm I'm envisioning you running up the stairs, Tori. You're wearing a gray hoodie today. It's a little I, cold I, I'm here. I'm
0: pretty sure I was wearing a gray hoodie that day, too. At, at the top, jumping a little bit. I love it. Yeah, It might be hard to uh, say that it was jumping, but I probably did uh, do a little bit of my fake Rocky as I ran up the steps. So thank you, Philadelphia. You're the Fast Pitch Prep City of the Week. Our player of the week this week down is Madison Gundrum. Madison goes to Kettle Moraine Lutheran, um, and she plays on the Kettle Moraine Lutheran Junior Chargers player that has uh, worked really hard to develop her skills. She had her first ever over-the-fence home run. Awesome. Um, But just uh, looking at the submission, she's also an outstanding student, a great teammate, one of those kids that uh, everybody loves to play with, one of those kids that everybody loves to coach. Certainly we're excited that uh, Madison was nominated and want to say congratulations to her for her on-field success, but more importantly, the fact that she's working so hard in the classroom and, and also being a great teammate at the same time. just says a lot about her. Um, and about uh, what she's doing to to grow her skills and, and, and her passion for the game of softball. Madison,
1: great job, and glad somebody was able to take a few minutes to submit your name. That's great.
0: We really do appreciate it. So congratulations, Madison Gundrum. You're the Fast Pitch Prep Player of the Week. As Coach Don just mentioned, if you have players that you would like to nominate, um, we've been on this roller coaster of Player of the Week nominations for uh, for quite some time. We go through stretches where we'll get five or six in one week, and then we'll go five or six weeks and we don't get one. Right, And the thing that's so crazy to me about that is that thousands of people listen to the podcast every week. And I know all of you know a softball player. You know somebody. All of you. Everybody who's listening, everybody who listens on any kind of regular basis knows at least one player who would be worthy of nominating every week. Just got to take a minute to submit it. So all you got to do is go to fastpitchprep at gmail.com or everythingfastpitch at gmail.com. Quick little email. Let us know why you think that player deserves to be recognized. Coach Don I will arm wrestle a little bit. We'll figure out who we're going to recognize. And uh, we would love to be able to recognize as many players as possible. I know it puts a smile on my face every time I see a kid walk through the door wearing one of our uh, Player of the Week t-shirts. Um, I know that that same feeling is true for those kids, you know, whether we get to see them in our facilities or not. And we would love to see more players like Madison, who are from all over the country, they're playing this game in all, all different places uh, to be able to be recognized.
1: That's awesome. Yep. Or if we get a picture one day from them, right? Absolutely. The oh,
0: yeah. The, the pictures that I yep. get back with the kids, you know, so happy to have that t-shirt. It just uh, makes the whole thing worthwhile. Awesome. All right, it's so, so our equipment tip of the week, let's talk about the Square Cuts training disc.
1: Well, Tori, as always, the discs uh, have been a hit here at the cages. We use them practically every day. Many times people that see them for the first time end up leaving with a set because they see the value and they see the excitement that uh, that they bring. So if you don't have a set, you need a set, we're sneaking up on the holidays. So each yeah. of you know a coach, and many of you know a coach that don't have a set. You need to reach out, get them quick, and make sure you've got them before the holidays get here.
0: Yeah, well, Don, I think that's a great idea to use the uh, Square Cuts training discs as an option for a, a coach gift. You know, one of the questions that we get periodically around the holidays is uh, you know we we desperately want to do something for our coaches a thank you you know there's two different ways that everybody seems to always go one is the gift card so you can go to Starbucks or or Dunkin' Donuts or or some restaurant and, a
1: meal and, yeah and
0: have a meal and, and, and that's a fine gift I'm I'm sure coaches appreciate it but I know personally it always meant more to me to get something from my team that tied to softball more directly I mean and I, and I like a nice meal as much as anybody I mean obviously people who know me know that that's true you know getting a coaching tool getting a a book getting a membership to a different service or something like that to you know continue to grow as a coach and learn more maybe be a better coach for the players that were giving me the gift was always a really meaningful thing and and something that I really valued and uh, you know the square cuts training discs I think fit very clearly into that category they're 49.95 a dozen so they're very affordable you know, they last a really long time. There's something that every coach would love to have. So they have one more set of tools to use, one more drill that you can set up at practice, make practice a little bit more enjoyable. It's also something I think every player should have in their home uh, training kit because it's absolutely, you know, the perfect tattletale. You get something out of hitting them, even when there's nobody there to watch you, to give you feedback. You get the feedback you need just from swinging And hitting the Square Cuts training discs, I think, is a really good tool.
1: I was going to say, Tori, and they're going to stick around for a good while, especially at the home when it's just you that are hitting them. They're durable. So they're going to be around for a long, long, long time at home. And, uh, you know, if we do uh, choose to give them as a gift for our coaches, it's kind of a constant reminder, you know, every time they look at them or work with them, that that you appreciate them and all that they do for you. So. That's a good good idea.
0: Right. So you go to the fastpitchprep.com website, go to the front page of the website. There's an order button right there. You click on it, fill out the form, um, and they'll get shipped to you right away. And we have them here in stock. It has been encouraging because they're going out the door a little bit faster pace more and more. Um, So I'm hoping that maybe it's the Christmas season and and people are taking our advice and getting them to give as gifts for coaches. But we've got them here in stock. There's no supply chain problems here at uh, Everything Fast Pitch. We can get them to you right away. So, Don, did you know... This week we have a sad di- did you know uh, Gary Farron, who uh, was the head coach at Loyola Marymount University passed away. Oh no. And Gary's another one of those great great coaches that most people don't recognize the name. You know people in the fast pitch world people that ha- you know, had the good fortune of coaching with or coaching against Gary certainly always appreciated the amazing job that he did. You know he was one of those coaches at a school that a lot of people didn't understand why they were so good couldn't quite you know put a finger on what made their program their softball program so consistently competitive. You know they were the team that was every year or two would knock off uh, UCLA or Stanford or somebody like that. That you know on face value you wouldn't think it was possible that a little school like Loyola Marymount was competing with and beating those kinds of teams. Gary's a great coach. He was a great guy. Um, had the good fortune of coaching against him a couple of times. He was one of those personalities where, while he was beating you, he made you feel pretty good about it, and you always had kind of a, a funny story to tell or something to you know crack you up. You know, he had a kind of a running commentary going from the third base coaching box of you know what was going on in the game, you know, with, with the world in general. Uh, but Gary was a great guy um, and uh, really uh, touched me when I saw that he had passed away. I um, mean, it's one of the things, Don, that really stinks about getting old. As, as we get older, unfortunately, more and more people in our lives—some of our friends—yeah—are um, uh, leaving us. And and uh, Gary was a great coach, a uh, great guy, and and he's going to definitely be missed, very strongly remembered by the folks at Loyola Marymount. So rest in peace, Gary Farron. So our listener question this week, Don, comes to us from Sally. Sally's question is: My daughter is eight. When should I start spending money on a high-end bat and a high-end glove? <clears throat>
1: Well, that's that's kind of a tough call, Tori, because, uh, you know, at that age, we don't know if they're going to be into softball for a long, long time or, uh, you know, if basketball or soccer or another sport might steal some of their uh, interests. So it's always fun to have a good competitive bat, because I do think that there's a little bit to that, more so when they're able to swing it hard enough to, to let that bat perform for them. But, um, you know, bats and gloves are fun. If you're able to uh, get into a a good bat, I think at a young age, you know, as maybe a a secondhand product, just to ensure that they're really into it enough for the big investment of a new one. But gloves, too, are going to be something they're probably going to grow out of if they're still just eight. So I think, you know, an affordable but good um, protective glove uh, might be something worth investing a little bit in. but. Still knowing that the the end game is that they're going to be growing out of it and needing a really good one down the road, too.
0: Right. Well, at such a young age, it is a very delicate question. And, and I think, Don, you touched on something that was my thought about it. If my choice was for a younger player, what I would invest in first, I would invest in a bat before I would invest in a glove. Partly because the glove is something that they're gonna outgrow probably and, and the, what they're going to need in a glove might change more drastically. Obviously when they buy a bat when they're eight, they're gonna get a smaller bat. When they get to nine and ten, it's gonna be a little bit bigger. And as they get older and stronger, the you know, the size of the bat's gonna continually change. Whereas the size of the glove is something that as their skill level continues to improve, usually you see the gloves getting smaller as the player's skill level improves. But the bat, I think, is going to give you the more instant payoff. Whereas a less expensive glove is something that can still perform really, really well. And especially for younger players, the less expensive gloves typically break in much faster. They're easier to use, quicker. And so that's something that would factor be into more it fun for. quickly, right? Yeah. You know, if you, if you get a, a new bat, it's fun to have it the very first day you have it. You can go out and, and play with it, and, and it might make a difference in how you're performing. If you get a really good high end glove you're going to spend the first, you know, several months of your life breaking it in and getting used to it and getting comfortable with it. Uh, almost feels more like a chore to get it to where it feels like it's making a difference, where you that need bat, it, you where know, yeah. that bat feels like it will right away. Now, of course, everything in this game, uh when we talk about bats and the expense of bats is something that's a never-ending discussion. You know, when does the payoff? When does the investment match the the return that you're going to get? You know, you know you touched on that also, you know, for a very young player, Who's not a very strong hitter? It probably doesn't make nearly as much difference what kind of bat they're swinging as it does as they do to make develop, it perform as yeah. they develop their skills a little bit more too. So there is really no way for me to say you know at eight yes you should invest in this or you shouldn't invest in that. But I think it's a, again a, you know, a little bit of a balancing act. And and if I was going to get one or the other, I would get the bat first. Um, if money's no object, well then get them both. Let's have but, fun. Uh, but I think yeah. the reality of it is the reason that Sally asked this question is because you know she's not in a position where she can just you know go out and spend a thousand dollars tomorrow. We're on are bats and gloves, yeah. and, and then have to do the same thing in a year, or two or three every you know, every time her daughter gets a little bit bigger and a little bit stronger. But as you mentioned, Don, the the risk is always there with younger players. Is what happens if you know next week they decide they want to be on the cheerleading team or the soccer team or or the Field hockey team or something instead of of being so dedicated to softball,
1: and you're looking at yeah hundreds of dollars of uh, investment and equipment. Yeah,
0: we we see a lot of gloves uh, and or a lot of bats for sure are for sale on uh, on uh, different uh, services on on the internet uh, because somebody bought a great bat thinking that their daughter was going to love it. She didn't love it or didn't love softball as much anymore, and they didn't need it anymore. So so that's my advice. You know, definitely bat first. You know, I think you can find a really good middle of the road. You know, hundred dollar glove that a a softball player is going to love like crazy, without spending for a hundred bucks. That should be a really nice glove too. Yeah. Versus, you don't get much for a hundred dollar bat, but you do get a a a serviceable, good glove. And the glove that you're going to spend two hundred and fifty dollars for, that you know, the super high end glove that should be the last glove you buy. We probably shouldn't be buying that when we're eight. Let's get that when we're you know thirteen, fourteen, fifteen.
1: Absolutely no. I think that's all good advice, Torian. On the bat thing, you know, a lot of these bats, especially with the younger kids, do last quite a while. And somebody is going to be growing out of something that would be exciting for us to use. Yeah. And if you slap a new grip on it, you know, take a magic eraser, shine it up, pretty awesome setup.
0: Yeah, no, and I think this, again, at the younger ages, because the kids are not hitting the ball so hard, so consistently, the bats don't... You not know, destroying them. Yeah, they're not going to wear out the same. They're not going to be as... Uh, as broken down as they might be with with some of the older kids. So, Sally, thank you very much for sending in your question. If you have questions or ideas that you would like Coach Don and I to talk about, uh, please make sure you reach out to us again, the same email addresses that we use for the um, player of the week nomination, either everythingfastpitch at gmail.com or fastpitchprep at gmail.com. So, Don, that's going to take us into this week's edition of Paige's Power Play.
2: Hey, it's Paige here. I hope you're having a great day today. So let's talk a little bit about how to get your daughter motivated when she's not feeling motivated. This is actually pretty funny because when I was working on this week's content and this e- and the email and the lesson plans this week, I didn't really feel like doing it. I wasn't feeling the motivation to get things done. So how did I get it done? I wrote it down in my action goals in the beginning of the month. It was written in my planner for today. It was part of a plan and I use a little self-talk like getting this email done will be easy. I can do this. It will take me 15 to 30 minutes to get it done and then I can relax. This is how your daughter can stay motivated when she's not feeling motivated. Setting the goal, setting action goals, mapping out the action goals in a planner or an agenda creating positive self-talk to support those actions and the plan. And we are actually going through this exact process and mindset lessons this week. So have your daughter come join us so that she can start staying motivated when she's not feeling motivated, especially when it comes to practice, getting the extra work done, all of those things. She, you can schedule this week's lesson on my website at pagetons.com. And if she could use a little help using a planner or agenda or just having some more skills with time management, juggling all the things. You can also check out and grab my mini course, balancing school and sports stress-free. It's one of my favorite things. As you know, I'm a little bit of a planner nerd, so I love that resource. Um, And I hope this is helpful. So I hope to meet your daughter, help her stay motivated when she's not feeling all that motivated.
0: Uh, Paige does a great job for us every week. I lo- always love her tidbits of information, and I know I say this almost every week. Um, it's important to me that, that we talk to our listeners about how valuable her programs are. The, the number of players that I deal with in in hitting lessons that need something like this, that, that need some sort of confidence-boosting program, some sort of mental training to allow them to actually tap into what they're capable of doing physically, it's not 100%, but it's probably 90%. And I think that you know that one of the things we talked about you know just a second ago is when do we invest in a in a high end bat or a high end glove? There's an awful lot of softball players that would be a whole lot better off with a bat that's a year or two old, and investing that money in you know this kind of a training program that uh, that Page offers, where you're going to be more confident, more comfortable, um, have a better skill set to deal with the pressure that this game delivers versus, you know, getting just another new bat.
1: So Tori, too, another piece on this is I've come across some really high end, what I would consider extremely high end athletes that uh don't really let us know uh, some of the turmoil that they have inside. They hide it and uh you know and it's really an unknown thing. So we might have some athletes that are you know, parents of athletes that are listening and, and we don't really know all that behind the scenes stuff that right. they're they're experiencing and Page is a great way for them to uh, learn how to cope and work through some of those challenging times. And, and so we don't really know.
0: Well, and, and it's just human nature, you know, for, for parents, when your kids are the kids that are struggling, we usually see it last. You know, we think, well, our kid's too tough for that. Our kid can handle it. You know, we've got this. We can sort this out. And we know with all the mental health stuff that's going on, you know, with, college athletes that we're seeing so much of and, and you know some of the tragedies that have happened in that arena, the idea of passing up on opportunities to help our kids just be more comfortable, more equipped. Why not handle, check it out? Yeah. To handle the challenges. And, and one of the things that you know, we talk about all the time, you know, the value that it has for them for the rest of their life. If you, if you learn how to solve problems as a softball player, you're going to be better at solving problems as a employee, as a parent, as a you know, person in the real world if you learn how to you know, be confident in yourself and have faith in yourself and know that you're capable of accomplishing things as a softball player, that sticks to you too. And I think the you know the reality of it is that, that the batting average is going to be forgotten way before what we might potentially see these kids accomplishing in the real Down world the if, road. We, if we yeah. give them the skills to do it. And so tons.com, it's T-O-N-Z. Keep beating the drum for it, I believe, without a shadow of a doubt, that the most important missing ingredient for the vast majority of kids playing all sports, but absolutely playing this game, is this game is a load. If you're the best player on your team, you're still making an out half the time. You know, If you're if you're the best player on the team, your team's still not winning all the time. If you're the best player on the team, there's still times that you just don't know if you can handle the pressure of it. If we can you know, take advantage of what Paige is doing to make ourselves better at those things and more capable to, to do the what we're really capable of doing, it's just going to be a good investment. All right, Don, so that's going to take us to this week's leadoff topic. Our leadoff topic is sponsored by Elite Sporting Goods. Elite's located at 905 Grayson Highway in Lawrenceville, Georgia. Phone number there is 678-377-0270. You can also contact them at elitesportsorders at yahoo.com. Uh, anything you need, bats, balls, gloves, uniforms, spirit wear, um, contact the folks at Elite. They're really good at it. They'll get it to you right away. They're happy to ship anywhere in the United States. But Don I had a question that came to me this week, kind of uh, just a general. Give us your thoughts about playing time, especially with developmental rec level, younger level teams, and uh, you know some of the questions revolve around you. Know, I guess depending upon different times of the year, different levels of importance that people are attaching to what's going on with the team at specific times. You know, for a lot of you know, places in the country right now. They're, they're playing the quote-unquote off-season, fall season, you know, where it's maybe uh, not even, you know, necessarily as competitive. Um, it's meant to be more developmental, um, you know, to prepare for the spring and summer season, which is supposed to be when it really counts. Um, you have different leagues and different organizations that are set up specifically as let's help the kids learn how to play versus others where it's, you know, maybe meant to be a little bit more competitive you know, we look at organizations on the national level like Little League, where they have rules that basically specify that every kid on the team has to play. And then we have a you know kind of the wild, wild west of the the softball world, where you know some organizations on uh, rec leagues have different rules that are very specific, and some are kind of wide open and leave it to the coach.
1: I get really frustrated with this, Tori. I know uh, I've got a couple of feelings about um, time limits and stuff like that for games. We've got tournaments and and things that are giving people seven game guarantees but it's a you know an hour and 15 minutes and when we're playing 75 minutes even if we are running the whole order and we've got 12 or 13 kids on the roster a couple of them are only getting one at bat maybe right. maybe two at bats and instead of cutting it off at that hour 15 if we were able to you know actually play seven innings or say it's a 2 hour time limit all the setup and tear down and moving from dugout to dugout and all this other fill time would be more at-bats for for these kids. And then also, too, I like the idea of, you know, if we end at the eighth batter in this game, then the ninth batter is the leadoff of the next one. Right. You know, and some people adopt that, and that's cool, and I think that's good. At least it gives everybody a fair shake to get the same number of at-bats throughout the day. So I think that's a, a, a good thing, rather than trying to, you know, show well and win good and win, you know, as many games as we can. But also, too, the the name brand. So we've got a lot of kids that are playing on teams that are a high-end noted organization. Right. And their expectation is to show well every day, every game. If somebody if somebody gets them then that's like a a mark against them as a coach and they might be a new coach in one of these organizations because they seem to move, you know, back and forth kind of freely from season to season, but um they need to show well. And if they're going to show well, they got to push their their front nine out there as often as possible and you know, win every game that day. And, and that's not what this is all about for, um, you know, for the fall season. Like you said, this is a developmental time. Well, and especially for younger,
0: younger players too. That's one of the things. And and I think, you know, your point, Don, about how as teams migrate from organization to organization, maybe they move from the rec level to that, you know, early travel ball stage. And then from the early travel ball stage to the quote unquote higher competitive, they want to show well, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, that uh, there's this never-ending cycle of high-pressure, low-pressure, high-pressure, low-pressure. And unfortunately, what's happening now is the days that are low-pressure days, we're just letting everybody play or or making sure that we're using this as a chance to learn some lessons versus worrying about winning. The number of those days, uh, let's just see what happens and, and let everybody give us a chance to show us what they're capable of, those become more and more rare and replaced with the well, I believe this is my best team. I'm going to play my best team more often, and so there, I, I think there's a couple of factors, uh, in my opinion, that 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 play into it. One is certainly hum, you just human nature for the coaches involved. At the very beginning levels, I think you still are going to have coaches that are highly motivated to, to you know and 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 want to do things that are going to put them in a position to win as many games as possible. Um, you know, my uh, softball movie that I keep talking about. Uh, Uh, All Stars, which is you know based on a a fictional recreation of life in a rec league in California, you know you have the league rules are very specific that you know the players are supposed to all play different positions, you're supposed to move you know kids around, Um, you're supposed to play different lineups, and in the movie you know the the one you know super go getter, you know highly competitive coach that they're kind of making fun of is playing her best team all the time you know when people ask her about well you know is isn't, isn't everybody supposed to play this is like a rec league always got a snide comment about uh you know there's there's playing time and then there's winning time and you know all these different kinds of things and so i think you're always going to have a little bit of that but so i think the first thing is are there guidelines are there um, is there a mandate from the level or the the group that you're playing in and if you're playing in a local rec league there probably is some sort of guideline laid out from the you know, organizers of that recreational league that says, you know, you, you're going to have 12 kids on the roster. We expect everybody to play three quarters of the time, Yeah, right? Something like that. But where it gets really crazy and what I think you were really, you know, touching on is as soon as we move out of any kind of, you know, house league, any kind of organizational league that that's mandating those kinds of things, there are no rules, there are really no guidelines, and it's up to each coach to determine what, what they think is the right way to operate.
1: Well, and it's frustrating to me because if you're one of the kids on any of these teams, you're supposed to be productive and, and put in and, and play at that level. And right. and if you don't get a chance to play, how do you ever get better yourselves if you're the, the 10, 11, 12 kid? Right. And, you know, again, maybe it's an organizational thing. It's like everybody plays and that would be a wonderful org thing. It's like, yeah, we hope you win, but right, everybody's going to play, especially in the fall or you know, like you said, the the spring season is the one that counts. That's the one that's more notable. Um, let's make sure we're getting tons of playing time here in the fall. And this is when we're figuring out what we need to get better at. Right. And if everybody's not plugged in that lineup, then we they might not even know what what their weaknesses or their greatest need in the off season might be.
0: Right. Well, and and uh, back to the uh, movie, the star character, and it starts off, you know, coaching a team. Uh, you know the the proverbial. Dad, whose older daughter is all done playing, and decides he wants to go back and just you know give back to the game and, and give back to the league, and he starts off early in the year uh, with the all the kids are playing. As one girl that uh, never even comes to practice, but whenever she shows up, he's still putting her in the lineup, and you know you know obviously that's you know not really popular with some of the other parents and things like that. He even flips the switch and goes from being the you know, everybody plays coach to the I got to win this game against the other go-getter coach, you know, and and, <laughs> and kind of thing. And so, um, so we just know that that human nature is part of it. And so, coaches for all of you, as you're figuring this out, you know, take a real hard look at the level that you're coaching at, and try to think about what it is that's really the goal for the the level that you're coaching at and the kind of team that you're coaching. Obviously, winning is fun, but winning at all cost can't be the the number one priority. And if winning uh, means that we're holding players, especially very young players back, not giving Absolutely. them an opportunity. I think that, that we're being a little bit misguided.
1: And then they feel like if they don't get a hit on their first, their first opportunity that they're just not going to get a chance the rest of the day. And they're
0: probably right. Yeah. Well, and I, I know I deal with young players, uh, all the time that come in, if they were, you know, if they only hit 300 or 350 this weekend, that they think that, that means a disaster. they're going lose their spot in the lineup, yeah. you know, that they're going to get replaced. And so that's, uh, coaching communication thing that we need to, to be working on too. But the other thing that came up in, in this discussion was, you know, how do we decide when it's, you know, the important time of the year versus the the instructional time of the year? And in the movie, that's, what, you know, uh, Coach Lance's point was that, you know, the first half of the year was learning time. The second half of the year is when they were going to be a little bit more competitive and try to play to win more and, and try to, you know, a- advance, you know, the, the team's, you know, win, win, loss record a little bit. And I think that's something, you know, again, that we all need to be on the same page with depending upon the level that we're at. Now, of course, the million dollar challenge is that we can sit down with all our parents at the start of the year and say, okay, at the beginning of the year, we're going to play everybody, but, you know, starting, you know, the, you know, the midpoint of the year, we're going to start to zero in and our nine best players are going to play a little bit more, you know, people are going to have more defined roles. We're going to be trying to win a little bit more where it really turns into a challenge is that the opinion of all parents is that the best way for our team to win is for my kid to be playing. Sure. So the fact that you said that we're going to play our nine best players more because we're going to try to win at the end of the year. You meant mine. Yeah. Everybody's yeah. happy because oh, of course you mean my kid's going to play more because my kid's going to be one of the nine best. And, and when we get into trouble is when that doesn't happen. And so you know, I think that uh, for all of our coaches, you know, it's, it's, you know, starting off with communication, you know, Don, you talk about that on almost every topic that we talk about, but laying out a very clear plan, what the what the goals are of the team? If you're coaching at an entry level team and your jo- job is, in your opinion, to develop all the players equally and to make sure that everybody has the very best experience they possibly can, then just lay that out. If your job is travel ball coach or school ball coach, and, and your your expectation is that you need to win, your group, you know, your your boss or your organization expects you to win. And let's just make sure we're laying that out, too, so that everybody's on the same page and as aware as they possibly can be about what your plan is going into the season and how you're going to operate as the season unfolds.
1: And I'm I'm going to throw this out there, too, Tori. And we've both been a part of really strong teams. And as the years go through or go by or as they're uh, evolving, playing all of those players is going to make you stronger in the end. And having, having that 10, 11, 12 roster spot, having comfort when they do get put in in a championship moment, Uh, if they've had some playing time, they're going to perform way better. And that's part of our role as a coach is to make sure that that 10, 11, 12 player on the roster Is ready at any point to get in there and to be productive, and not for it to be a panic moment because oh my gosh, I'm in now, and it needs to be something that's normal and regular. If we're going to be as strong as we need to be at the end of the season, right? And that's gonna that's gonna win some games for some of us listening.
0: Yeah, Yeah. and I think one of the things too is is the the variable in all of this is the environment that you're playing in. You know, one of the things that that like if you're a college coach, your college coaches are expected to win. They're expected to win every game they coach. There's no You know, there are no meaningless games on the schedule. Now, there's some games that are less likely that they're going to win no matter what, so maybe they will... Might get some time uh, in those games. Right, Or, or you might have, you know, the occasional game where you're matching up with a team that you just know you're either very superior to or very inferior to, so maybe you'll do something a little bit different with that. But if you're a college coach and you're coaching a conference game, a game that you know is part of you know whether it you're not gonna win your you title the or not. Year. Yeah. Uh, your expectation needs to be and your boss's expectation is that you're gonna do everything humanly possible to win that game. And if that means that the nine best players play all the time, that's great. But that's such a different world than the world that most of us will ever coach in. You know, if you if you're coaching professionally and your job is to keep your job, you have to win. I think your motivation's going to be a whole lot different than I signed up to coach this team because I love coaching and and these kids really need to learn. Sure. All right. And so I think we just all need to, you know, be be realistic about where where we're at in, in the development of these players and, and where we're at and the level that we're coaching at so that we can kind of adjust our expectations. And again, just like my my movie examples, um, you could still have somebody at a very recreational level that's a little bit too gung ho and and makes a you know makes some bad decisions. We, we should be thinking about it moving forward and going into it so that, that we can be honest with everybody that's on the team, be honest with the players, you know, let them know what the level of expectation is. And if you're a parent and that's not happening with the coaches that you're playing for, I think it's okay for you to be asking those kinds of questions. If you go to a team meeting at the start of the year. And there's no discussion about who's going to play or how decisions are going to be made or who's you know, what, what the you know, roster makeup's going to be or what the playing time's gonna be. Our approach. Yeah. I think I think before the second practice, before before you go back again, you need to have that, you know, conversation. Like, you know, coach, you didn't really talk about, you know, how decisions are going to be made. You know, there's nothing wrong with you asking those kinds of questions. And if the coach doesn't wanna answer it, you're on the wrong team.
1: Well, and I think as a coach, if I'm coaching in a travel or wreck or situation I kind of want to know what everybody else's interest is. Is our interest in trying to win every game or is our interest in, you know, making all the kids better for next season.
0: Right. Yeah. And, and for our, our coaches that are listening, just be ready for the fact that your parents all want to win every single game, as long as that means their kid plays every for single sure. game. For sure. Yep. <laughs> so just kind of get ready for that. So, yeah. But find that that balance between what's realistic for where you're at and what your goals are as a coach, what your goals should be for your team and especially if you're in a situation where there is no mandate, if, it's not, if you're not told, here's the rules, then you know, it's up to you to, to, to set the standard and, and set the guidelines so that everybody knows what's going on. All right, so Don, that's going to take us to our cleanup topic. Our cleanup is sponsored by Pinnacle Power Butter. Everything Fast Pitch is very proud to be sponsored by Pinnacle Power Butter. It's a nutritious snack that every athlete should have in their bag of tricks. It will allow you to get a great snack, something that's healthy and nutritious, all-natural, And goes a long way towards making a ball player a better one. And
1: Tori, our listeners can get their Pinnacle Power Butter at PinnaclePowerButter.com. And they can place their order there. Again, that's PinnaclePowerButter.com. If they use their promo code of EFP10, they can also get a 10% discount. And we're really excited that they're on board with us. Products are great. We've used them and tried them
0: at home. The whole family loves it. And please make sure you take advantage of that EFP10 discount. It's a great way for you to save an extra 10% when you place your order. And the Pinnacle Power Butter products are awesome. I know Coach Don and his family love we them. We enjoy they, them. They use them all the time. So Don, a couple of weeks ago, um, when I was laying around the hospital recovering, I spent a lot of time you know, looking at uh, Facebook posts and softball news and stuff like that. And there was a big blow up about a, a play that we've talked about in the past, something that I was taught as a high school baseball player. Depending upon the situation that you're playing in and the number of umpires that you have, coaches figured out a long time ago that there's only so many things that the umpires can really watch while the game is going on. Just to kind of give this some context, one of the universal gamesmanship is how it's always been portrayed plays that we've seen happening in the game of baseball and game of softball is the runner scoring from second never really touches third base. They kind of cut the corner. Sure. Um, And what ended up happening, what raised this discussion, brought this to the the forefront today, is there was a high school playoff game, I believe it was in the state of Nebraska, that somebody was videotaping. And it was a very close game, very hard-fought game. But because the videotape was set up and the camera was set up in this position that it was, uh, there was a bunt play, squeeze play at the plate where the runner from second was maybe six or seven feet behind the runner from third scoring on this bunt play. And so then when you, you know, when you look at the video more closely, you can see the girl kind of starts off, you know, maybe the first two steps are towards third base. And then she pretty much just runs straight home. That's like, she, she missed third base by, that's awesome. Yeah. She missed third base by 20 feet. well, those of us that were raised in the world of gamesmanship and you get away with whatever you can because that's just the way the game is played, <laughs> so you see that as oh hey you know as you're saying you know, that, that, that way way to figure something out way to give your team an advantage, but there was also an awful lot of that's just flat out cheating. I can't believe somebody would teach a player to do that. Because the reality of it is, you know, the kids see, didn't figure that out on their own.
1: See, I'm already assuming that we did not teach them to do that, that in their excitement, they were just trying to get home, thinking of the little ones. Uh, but yeah, no, was this was a high school. This was high yeah.
0: school, state championship level, you know, and of course, you know, the...
1: I'm hoping that the umpires caught it. Uh, the umpires
0: yeah. did not. Or if they did, it's an appeal play. So because the other team didn't appeal it, even if the umpires did see it, they can't call it. Because missing a base is an appeal play. It's not a... You know, it's not an automatic play. For what it's worth, I wanted us to jump back into this. We've talked about it in the past, and for me, it's it's really kind of a a challenging discussion because I l- learned this play playing high school baseball in the seventies. You know, back then we had one or two umpires, and there was no way that the umpires could watch the ball set up to watch the play and watch every base runner running the bases. Sure. And so you know, especially play-
1: in a Two two person right. umpiring. The, the yep. coach
0: that I played for basically taught us: picture third base being fifteen feet closer to the pitcher's mound than it was. So you kind of ran a little bit of a of a corner, but not all the way to the base, you know, and cut that corner enough to give yourself the chance to score uh, score from second base. To me, that was just you know normal operating procedures. I never you know would have thought of anything about it. But now looking at the discussion and, and the arguments that were being had about the what are we really teaching so that would our be players e- ethics, yeah. Right, the, the ethics of it. The, is it the right thing or is the wrong thing is winning so important that quote unquote cheating is okay to get ahead of it and what it really made me think about is there's about five or six places in the game where I think we're always teaching our players to push the envelope you know, nudge the rules a little bit. I can tell you, you know, just a couple of them that come to mind for me right away. When I'm teaching a runner a leadoff in a steal situation, I, I'm okay with them getting called out for leaving early once in a while because it means that they're really pushing the envelope of getting a really good aggressive leadoff. Now, I don't know that we're going to flat out tell them, you know, make sure you leave early, Right, but, but I'm going to you... make sure that they're pushing the envelope that if, you know, they're they're... Playing it air really aggressively, close there, there, yeah. And, if
1: we air, we air aggressively, right? Yeah.
0: But I I know there's many situations where if you have only two umpires, it's very difficult if you have multiple base runners for the umpires to watch all of them. Mm-hmm. So if there's only two umpires and you're the runner at first base, you can probably leave early almost every pitch because the the umpires' focus is going to be on the runner at third base. For sure. Right. And so there's all these different situations where. Is it cheating or are we just pushing the the limits? When we talk about illegal pitching, what we know the rule book says is legal and what all of us teach our pitchers to do, I don't want to go too far into the weeds about the illegal pitching thing, but we know, know, we've talked about it when it comes to the college game, that I think that we're not too far away from the college game getting rid of some of the rules that they have because it's not enforced consistently and it's become so controversial that, uh, that people just don't like the impact that it has on some game. So is cutting third, flat out, is it gamesmanship or is it cheating? Don?
1: <laughs> As you're describing it and talking about it, I mean, we've seen it a number of times and I've seen people miss third base and then go back and touch it because they realize they just barely stepped over it or right. something like that. But I've, I, w- I was never, ever instructed or taught to do that in an effort to score another run or anything yeah. like that. And no, we were we, taught it. It was, we, it was, it was, yeah, yeah, we, I
0: mean, you would have got, you would have got torn up if, if you if, didn't if, do if you what didn't you were told.
1: It. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I didn't have that, uh, taught to me and I've obviously, I, would never have taught that to any of our kids but i see it and like you say now with all the video it would be easy to see same as uh leaving first base i mean sometimes i feel for our catchers right because they get three or four step uh head start stealing the base and nobody ever ever sees anything and you slow the you slow the video down you're like wait a minute she took four steps and the ball hasn't been released yet And, and our poor catchers are, are having to throw down, they make a perfect throw and they're safe by three steps. Yeah. They, they and, make
0: the best throw in the history of their life. And the girl's still standing at second yeah, base with no chance. Yeah.
1: And, and, and I was going to say, and, and all of this stuff that we're, that we're doing is about teaching the kids to be accountable, to, you know, have goals, to work through adversity, to, you know, all these positive things. This is, this is a, a three steps back for every one step forward kind right. of moment. If, you know if that's the direction that we're heading yeah. with our coaching.
0: Well, and and here's what I was thinking while I was looking at all this stuff. I I grew up with thinking that was just normal operating procedure. That that's how we do things. That that's just gamesmanship. That it's not really cheating. It's it's like a lot of other things in baseball and softball. If you if get
1: if you, yeah, if you get if, caught, you get if, caught. If, if you
0: steal a sign, is that cheating? You know, if you, if you pick the pitcher's grip because you look into her glove and you have a system where the third base coach says wait or whatever because they can see that you you know switch to a changeup grip. Is that gamesmanship or is that cheating? Is the runner at second base signaling where the catcher's setting up? Is that gamesmanship or is that cheating? You know, I mean, you know, so is cutting is is cutting third, you know, gamesmanship or is it cheating? Is leaping teaching my pitcher to leap because the umpires aren't going to call it? Is that cheating or is that gamesmanship? You know the runners leaving the base early all that stuff, it's just is, and I think what ends up happening is what and where this one kind of got my my attention was it the outrage was over how obvious it was. Right. If the girl had been a little bit more just stepped
1: over third. Yeah,
0: had been a little bit less aggressive in her gamesmanship, if she was not Sliding in the dust left from the runner in front of her on a squeeze <laughs> on the play. opposite side you know, of the bag. Yeah, it's, it's the like plate, that, that uh, side by side that that clip that they have in a league of their own, where the two base runners are basically sliding in. You know, on, you know, on right top behind, of each yeah, other. Yeah, You know, if if it, if it hadn't been so obvious, would the same level of outrage had been there? For me, as a as a coach now, and as a parent now, the coach part of me thinks it's gamesmanship. The parent part of me thinks, I don't want you teaching my kid to sh- cut corners. I don't want you teaching my kid to cheat. I don't want you teaching my kid to be fast and loose with the rules, you know, that, that it's, it's... But, but we, we all do it in, in so many places. So I, I just Absolutely. think this is a really interesting discussion. I know the sign says 55, but the last time I really drove 55 miles an hour when I didn't have a, a police officer, have you ever like,
1: rolled I, through a stop sign? Yeah, I got a bit, ticket right? for it. Yeah, you know, I mean,
0: you know, well, that's because they were there, right? Yeah. If they but, weren't there, right? But but uh, but I've done it ten thousand times. I got one ticket, right? You know, I speed almost every single time I get on the freeway because even though it says 55, I know I can get away with 62. And my kid drives the same way I drove because he figured out when I was driving when he was a kid. Five the, over the, was okay. Yeah, the speed limit doesn't really mean the speed limit. it's you a know, suggestion. It's just a suggestion. So all this outrage—is it gamesmanship or is it just a suggestion? You no. know, what I mean, I just, I just think it was a fun thing to talk about because to me, I agree, Tori, because
1: uh, you know the signaling—if a—if uh, a catcher's giving the signals, if they're giving the location, to me, it's like a chess match back and forth. Okay, well, if you're gonna. Pick my signals, then I'm going to cross you up. Right, it's going to be opposite. I'm going to I'm going to show inside, and then I'm going to move to the out. And, right. So well, to me, it's gamesmanship, like you're saying and, to and, a like, degree.
0: And, but and, and the the gigantic example, you know the. the but Houston, I can't I can't defend the cut the corner. Yeah, the, the Houston Astros thing. Well, you know, stealing signs in baseball has been a thing forever. Well, stealing signs because we've got you know stop action video high-tech. now and high tech <laughs> you know systems where we can you know instead of you know I'm standing at second and I'm you know waving my right hand means curveball or I'm waving my left hand means fastball. I touch my head means change up is way different than you know than what the Astros were accused of doing.
1: Than <laughs> the camera. And- right.
0: But it still comes back to the same concept. Know, same concept, the same yep. argument. Is yep. is it is it gamesmanship? And to me, a really challenging thing because I I'm I'm sitting here having this discussion and like I said before, I'm, I, I see it absolutely from two completely different positions. I see it from old school coach that thinks that if the other team can't stop you from doing it, that's on them, to the parent thinking, if somebody taught my kid to cheat, I'd be pissed. And I'm a little bit of both. And I think what ended up happening in this you know discussion that we had with the internet was that people were reacting like the parent part of me, you know, really outraged that somebody was doing it. But not necessarily seeing the coach part of me. That's like, well, yeah, but that's what I, that's that's part that's of the part game. of the game. Yeah, that's the question we're not going to answer today. So,
1: so I grew up as a catcher, as we've talked about many times, and and that was just part of the deal for me, is to hide the signals from the coaches, hide the signals from the batter, and to try and cross everybody up, and that was like half of the game, you know, as a catcher for me, and. If a a batter was peeking down as I'm giving signals, I'm going to, I'm going to cross them up, you know, and, and in between, and that was, that was half the fun. Or if, or if somebody was trying to pick the signals from our third base coach, you know, that we would change the indicator and we'd make it look like we're bunting, but we're really hitting away. Or, you know, that was part of the, as you called it, gamesmanship or, or the chess match, but the cutting, cutting corners or doing other things, it would be difficult to have a counter. Right. I can't I can't counter that.
0: Yeah, no well the the only counter is being uh, counting on other people to do their their, their job, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that's the old the ethical question, right is tree falls in the forest does it make any noise. Well, if nobody sees only you do it, there, did you right? really cheat? Yeah. You know, or if nobody catches you, did you really cheat? Counter is that, you know, we have to hope that the umpire is doing their job and saw it. We have to hope that somebody on our team is assigned the duty of watching things like that. You know, perfect example, there was a girl that played for me when I was coaching at Parkside. Her name was Tracy Brower. Tracy's now a really successful high school coach. Tracy was a highly decorated player uh, and on those really good teams that we had, but she didn't have a, a really strong defined role. She was not a starter, but she was one of those kids that had come up through the system of paying attention to watching the runners run the bases to make sure that they touch the bases. She was always the one to, you know, check the lineup to see if somebody was batting out of order two different times during her career. When I was coaching at Parkside, she came to me with coach, they're out of order. Save the day. And one time, you know, she, she, she left earlier. She, she didn't tag third or whatever it was. She missed third on her, on her way by. And in the heat of the moment, I hadn't you know noticed either. And she was right. And because she was used to, Watching those things and had been trained to watch those things. I know her high school coach did a way better job of that stuff than I ever did. You know, she was already paying attention to those kinds of things and, and saved our bacon a couple of times. And so, you know, maybe that's the, the the moral to the story is, you know, it's okay for us to be outraged because of, of the quote unquote cheating, but maybe we need to develop our our systems a little bit more completely so that we've got, you know, people paying attention to that kind of stuff and adding that to, that's our part of the, of our counteracting it.
1: Well, and I think that's a great point, Tori, is that our our dugouts can be very valuable with with extra sets of eyes. You know, they might pick up, you know, you talked about grips for pitchers. They can make sure people tag up, you know, it's like, Hey, she left way early or the runner stealing bases you know, extra sets of eyes can be very valuable for sure.
0: And so I think that's really the uh, the moral to the story is let's let's do what we can to catch them cheating instead of worrying about whether or not they did. <laughs> and if somebody chooses to cheat, that's your uh, definition of it. If you think it's cheating and they're cheating to win, then you always have the moral high ground. You know that they, you know, they didn't really win anyhow.
1: One year we were at a national tournament and I think we were playing IUPUI. Yep. Does that sound right? And uh, we had a tie game, seventh inning. We were home team, runner on second base. Batter hits a double off the wall. We score from second base. We win the game. Everybody shakes hands. We go and pack up our bags, and we're walking to the parking lot, and everybody's hollering and screaming, saying, come back. And we're like, we've already shaken hands. We've packed up our stuff. We've exited the dugouts. We were called back to the game because they said our runner at second base I mean, it was a double off the wall. It wasn't like a a close sliding play or anything. There was no reason to be be missing any bags or anything like that. And uh, they made us replay that scenario again. I guess maybe we had less than two outs. You know, they call her out and... Um, so uh, or runner goes back. Would that make sense? Yeah. Or, or,
0: or, or your runner who hit the double is standing at second. So you got an out, but the runner's at second.
1: That's what happened. And uh, so the next batter uh, hits a double off the wall and we score the run and we leave. But it was crazy yeah. that they would pull us from, you know, basically from the parking lot to come back and replay it. Right.
0: No. And, and so, again, it's I think it's it's a fun discussion to have. Because you know stuff like this is always going to be part of it. Because we know, you know, when when we're at the ballpark, if I'm at the ballpark right now, if I had a nickel for every time everybody on one side of the field yelled "She left early," <laughs> if every one of those people had to give me a nickel every time they said it, you and I wouldn't have to be asking people to join Patreon. <laughs> no Patreon. <laughs> if I had a uh, j- just for that every one bad si- call for, for every, but even just that one situation, yeah. she left early because every time somebody steals a base, the entire team on defense. And all the parents on defense are assuming she left early. And so we're always, you know, always screaming that, always yelling that. Unfortunately, we say it so often now that I don't think it really does anything to influence the umpires to watch it a little bit more closely the next time, anyhow.
1: No, it's exciting. Um,
0: but so gamesmanship or cheating, it's up to you to decide, figure out where you fit into that uh, if you're spectrum. Co- if
1: you're coaching that or not. Yeah,
0: if you're, if you're coaching it or not, um, uh, in this day and age now with uh, the video evidence that's so obvious, it might be that we need a scale. So the coach told me to do it. Yeah. Let's not run straight from second to home over the pitcher's mound. Let's just kind of you know, go towards third base a little bit more. Or,
1: or just hit the bag and make it cool. Yeah, that
0: would be cool too. All right. So not our coaching tip of the week this week, one of our listeners uh, reached out, and this is a topic we've talked about before, but he was very, very upset. His team just played in a fall showcase event. Winter is coming fast where they where their place. So they don't have many more chances to get out there this fall. A little fall. bit north, yeah. Um, and uh, basically the tournament was nothing that was promised. And in my response to him, you know, and you know, so it was a showcase event it was supposed to be attended by college coaches. Very few if any college coaches were there. Very few opportunities for players to be seen by any of the schools that they might have been interested in you know it ended up being one of those chicken or egg conversations because i tried to be sympathetic and i understand that if you if you spend a lot of money to go to an event that's being advertised to be one thing if it's not that thing it's going to always be disappointing and uh, it could be a showcase event that there's no college coaches at it could be a, a highly competitive tournament where the fields are terrible or the umpires are not very good or there aren't not enough umpires so the tournament runs poorly The tournament uh, gate fee is super high and the parents are unhappy because they've got to pay for their six-year-old to run around at the playground that doesn't even want to watch softball, but because we're charging every single kid. There's all different areas where this can be true. But in this situation, the thing that, that I tried to get him to understand is that while they should not advertise coaches will be there if they don't know for sure that they will, whether the coaches are there to see your kids or not is really on you and your players much more than it is on the tournament to make sure that that happens. And trying to get people to understand that you know when a tournament says, "Well, in the past these twenty-seven schools have been represented or these two hundred coaches showed up," that means that in the past they have, but it doesn't mean that they will this year. And you know, last year when they showed up might have been you know that theirs was the only tournament in town. Well, this year, there might be three showcase tournaments all going on the same weekend. So there's all kinds of variables. And so the advice I give everybody is if you're, especially from a recruiting standpoint, if you want to make sure you're going to get your money's worth, you've got to do some detective work on the front end, and you've got to work really hard to invite coaches to send schedules, to make sure that it's as easy as we can possibly make it for those college coaches to find us and and to come and watch us.
1: No, I think that's a good topic for sure, Tori. And Again, the showcase things are exciting. It's exciting for the the players, the coaches, the parents, it's exciting for everybody. And it takes a lot for that to all happen in in the way that we expect for it to happen. To have good facilities, to have our kids ready and prepped to to play well, for there to be college coaches there to to view our efforts. And all those things have to happen together for it to be a a huge hit or for it to be a, a big event and you know, anything short of that can be disappointing. But like you said, if there's a weekend that there's multiple events that people are getting spread out in, there's things that variables that you just can't necessarily control. And, um, you know, if, if I'm disappointed in a uh, product or a, you know, whether it's a restaurant or whether it's a tournament that we go to, we can, we can decide how we're going to perform and act and react and stuff like that. But I'm just not going to go again next time, you know? without more assurances like you're saying.
0: Yeah, well I think one of the things that uh we all have to be aware of is that tournaments are going to say whatever they need to say to con- to get continue you. to get yeah. people to come and play. I don't know very many tournament directors that are flat out lying. So I think if a tournament um, yeah. is if a if a tournament is advertising that, you know, come to our showcase in the past, you know, these tw- you know 200 schools, schools yeah. have attended. I'm sure those 200 schools have attended, but it might have been Two schools, one year, 60 schools the next, five schools the third year, and and 120 schools the fourth year. They keep us some sort of a list of everybody who's attended. They'll say something like, well, these schools have been here. These schools have recruited here in the past. And that's always a a useful bit of information. But again, if we want to make sure that our players are going to get in front of college coaches, we have to train our teams, train our players, train our parents that we have to, to become do their much part. more proactive. Yep. We've got to be targeting schools specifically that we're interested in. We've got to be contacting those coaches directly. We've got to be emailing them with all the information that that will make it as easy as possible for them to get out to see us play. If we're going to a showcase, just because it's a big name event that you know, all, you know that college coaches go to, doesn't mean that they're going to be there to watch our team. You know, some of the big showcases now you know, they might be at five or six or seven different parks, right? They might have one park that is the, you know, featured park where they've got, you know, the majority of the really good, you know, high, high caliber teams all playing each other. And then, you know, some other parks that are 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 miles away are part of the same event, but certainly aren't going to have the same number of college coaches and the same number of recruiters in attendance at. And so, so teach your kids, They've got to do the inviting. You know, if you're playing at a at a big showcase and they're using three different parks, you gotta you know, send that college coach the park, the game time. And anything and, updated. Yeah. Probably the uniform that you'll be wearing that day so that they can find you easier. You know, everything you possibly can to to ensure the likelihood that those coaches are gonna come and watch you play. Tor- and that's gonna, and that's really the bottom line to that.
1: So and Tori, we talk about that a lot and making sure that we're doing our part and reaching out to the schools that we have interest in. But what kind of timing do you think? that our players and coaches need to be thinking on that? Is that a one week ahead or do we need to do it at the beginning of the summer or the spring season? I, th- I think season? it's
0: both. I think we need to have a long-term plan. And like a follow-up. Yeah, we need to have a long-term plan uh, at the beginning of the season. So With the tentative if, schedule. Right, so let's say if, if, if you're coaching at KSU and that's my this is one of the schools I'm really interested in, two or three weeks before our first tournament, I'm sending you the overview. I'm going to send you the... Hey Coach Don, just wanted to give you as much information as I can. You know, we're going to be playing in these six tournaments. And then 2 weeks later when we get close to the first tournament, say, "Hey Coach Don, you know, the first tournament on our schedule is coming up this weekend. We're going to be playing in Chattanooga. We're going to be playing at the Summit. We're going to be, you know, playing 3 games on Saturday, 2 games on Sunday, and I'll send you the exact times and exact fields as soon as I can." And then as soon as you have that information in hand, "Hey Coach Don, I got the schedule for the Summit this weekend. We're on Field 7 at noon on Saturday, Field 6 at 3 on Saturday, and Field 9 at you know, 9 o'clock Saturday night. And I'm thinking,
1: Tori, thank you so much because my life is already wild and crazy with right. all the different things I have to do and people to see, and yeah. you've made it easier for me. Yeah,
0: And I'm going to even ask my players to even take it one step forward. And we're going to be wearing our white uniforms, so you should be able to definitely find us because I know there's several teams from our organization that are going to be playing in Chattanooga, I don't want you to spend any time at the wrong field
1: because we're white on Saturday and we're going to be blue on Sunday. Right. Yeah. And
0: then Sunday, here's our schedule. And then if there's you know any kind of you know bracket play or whatever, you know bracket play is supposed to start at at nine on Sunday. I'm going to you know continue to update you through the day. If we played at nine, if we win at nine, we'll, so if you want to come to the eleven o'clock game, you can. If we win at 11, that means we play at 2.30. I'm going to let you know that we want at 11. If we win at 2.30, I'm going to let you know that we won at 2.30. I'm, you know I'm going to do everything I can to make sure you waste zero time. Awesome. And if I do that, I think we're going to develop the kind of relationship where if for Noah, nothing other than my stick-to-itiveness, eventually you're going to you're come watch You're going to see me.
1: Play. You're going to find right. me at some um, point.
0: Now, and, and if, if I've done the other stuff that I should have done, which was send you a skills video so you've already been, you know, your interest has been peaked. Uh, maybe I came to your camp, so we already have a little bit of a personal relationship. You know, whatever I've needed to do, I've I've done all those things so that when I, you know, talk about the tournament that we're going to, you know everything that you need to. And that's on each player and each team. The the days That's of, good for
1: everybody. Right. Yeah.
0: And that would be true whether you're going to a tournament that's highly thought of and has a strong reputation or you're going to something that's a little bit less well known. The strategy should always remain the same. It's up to me as a player to get those college coaches to come watch me play, period.
1: No, I think that's great advice for sure.
0: And so that way we'll have less coaches being frustrated because they spent $1,500 to play in a showcase that no college coaches were at. And again, I understand that that's disappointing, but that's on you more than it is on the the tournament, tournament people. Right. Yeah. Uh, my, my guess is, and again, I, I did not see the exact information, the exact communication, uh, but from the conversation that the coach and I had, I think the email did say, in the past, these schools have attended. And in his mind, he turned that into these all these schools are will be, be here. here. And I think the well, e- email said something that you know we're, we've invited all these coaches to attend. You know we're 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 gonna you know treat the college coaches really well so that you know they like to come back to our event. That doesn't mean that they're guaranteeing that they're going to be there.
1: Tori, do you feel like it's uh, true that almost all tournaments are now listing themselves as a showcase tournament? It just seems like that's a. You know, almost expected. It's like, yeah. Uh, yeah well, well, all tournaments used to be a showcase because college coaches went to all tournaments, right? Verbiage, or is it the format,
0: or the, is that the 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 verbiage and the format are the two things? The format typically in a showcase tournament is that there's very little bracket play and it's all set schedule so that we know for sure we're going to play at specific times. Just like the team names now have very little meaning, the tournament titles have very little meaning. You know now now you have you know teams that are platinum gold silver gold elite super dynamic mega team they have some sort gold
1: of, used to be the yeah, yeah. it used
0: to be your the you know the everything fast pitch gold meant you were the very the best of the best, of fast the best, pitch best there yeah. well now you'd be the everything fast pitch national gold elite premium premier team extreme you know super extreme excalibur whatever you know just some sort of you know word to make it seem like it's more than it really is <laughs> and i think you know the, the tournament world now is, is falling into that same thing, and we have a lot of elite, we have a lot of power, we have a lot of power pools, we have super pools, we have super power pools, and a lot of that stuff is tied solely to who you know and how well you know them, or how much you're willing to pay to be able to be in those those places in those tournaments. And so... um am looking a, to see who else is in the tournament, might Yeah. Right. That's the work on the front end. Really check out what's happened in the past. Talk to people that have been there, that kind of thing. And then once you pick the places you're going to go to, if you want coaches to be there, you got to do the work. All right, Don, that's going to wrap up episode number 238. Just a quick update for anybody that was curious. I did have eye surgery. I'm uh, well on my way to healing. I went from being almost completely blind in my right eye to now being just a little blurry in my right eye. And hopefully uh, uh, with a little bit more healing time, I'll get my vision back to Close to a hundred percent. It's been a heck of a year for uh, Coach Tory. For a minute there, they thought I had colon cancer. That was a scare that didn't come true. Then I had a heart attack, then I had retina surgery. So hopefully twenty twenty three. Tori, we're so glad you're back on track. And, hopefully twenty twenty three is gonna be on, going a little bit again. better year for Coach Tory. Yeah. Um but uh just wanted to make sure everybody knows what's going on. So I'm I'm back uh back on track and uh unless something else crazy happens, uh We'll be getting back into our normal routine of uh, everything fast pitch on Wednesdays and uh, coach prep on Fridays, and we'll get into a good routine again. So that's going to wrap up number 238. Make sure you check out our sponsors, the Anderson Bat Company, Biddinger and Styles DDS, Elite Sporting Goods, Pinnacle Power Butter. Make sure you go to the patreon.com slash everything fast pitch, become a patron if you can, and then also go to the fastpitchprep.com and order your Square Cuts training discs. $49.95 Forty nine ninety five a dozen. Order them there. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, player of the week nominations, reach out to us at everythingfastpitch at gmail.com and fastpitchprep at gmail.com. For Coach Don and our producer Stan Lewis, this is Coach Torrey saying thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again next week.